Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You're a sovereign Father. We come before you, Lord, with grateful hearts for your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we receive new and abundant life. We thank you, Lord, for, for strengthening our faith in, in the supper that we just received so that we can proclaim your death to all of those around us until you return. Lord, we bring before you this morning the sick and hurting the sick and hurting in our congregation, the sick and hurting that come to our mind when we, when we hear that, Lord, the anxious, the depressed, the lonely, the afraid. Lord, we ask that you uh, would work in a mighty way by your spirit, that you would bring healing, that where you choose to not bring healing, you would bring patience for uh, endurance, as, as I know some are, are dealing with pain and and awaiting test results, Lord, and I, I pray that they would just, you would increase their faith so that they would trust in you in this time. Lord, and work through your word, work through your church. I pray that we, as your, as your body, would go and take care of the needy, the sick, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. Lord, keep us from being curved inward as a church, but, but move us outward so that we are we're living out the gospel and sharing the gospel in all that we do and say. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in a mighty way in the hearts of the lost so that they would come to Jesus. We ask that you would make us bold to live for you, Jesus, to speak of your good news Lord, we ask that you would be with our brothers and sisters as they head home today and, and head to work and head out into the world that, that they would be prepared to show and share your love. Lord, we ask that you would make us godly people in all that we do so that you are glorified in all of our actions and words. Lord, we pray for our President Biden and Vice President Harris that you would uh, move in their lives, that they would see you as the one true God. We pray that you would give them wisdom, that you would open their eyes to your will and, and cause any plans that are not of you to fail. We pray for our governor and other positions, that those who do not know you will come to know you, Lord, will come to do your will. Holy Spirit, we, as we come to your word now, we ask that you would open our ears, illuminate your word so that we can shine your light into the world around us. You've prepared me to deliver this message this morning. You've prepared my heart, and I ask that you would help me to, to boldly share it with your people so that we can live and move and breathe as you would have us to do so. Jesus, may you be glorified. You're our Savior. You're our King. 
You're our God, and it's in your powerful and glorious name that we pray and believe. And amen. Kiddos, you are released. Everyone else, you are not. You can go ahead and turn with me while they're going to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the ravaging of the church, persecution. It seems like we've been talking about persecution a lot lately. We get to see some beautiful hope this morning, though. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. I want you in the Word with me. Um, If you don't have one at all, you can take one. I'm not sure how you guys feel or... uh, think about or where you stand with spiders. I'm not a big fan of spiders. Uh, where, when I grew up, I grew up in Texas, so spiders were poisonous. Uh, they were poisonous like snakes, so we didn't mess with them. When we saw one, we killed them. We didn't think about it. At least I didn't. Uh, I remember hearing as a kid these horror stories of brown recluses and black widows and what they would do and rot a hole in your flesh. Anyways, I just, I didn't want to partake in that, so I made sure that I didn't by stomping on them. And there's one time, and you might think I'm a terrible person, and, and after this story, and that's okay, I'm saved by grace, and Jesus has forgiven me. Um, but there was a spider crawling on the floor, and it's huge. It was brown, and I knew I'm going to kill this thing because I don't want it to be in my bed tonight. Um, So I went over like normal, and I stomped on it, and something terrible happened. (sighs) It was like a horror story. The moment I stomped on it, baby spiders went everywhere. I mean, hundreds of spiders, and we had a white, like, uh, white floor, and you could just, they went every, it was like a horror movie, it, it, it was terrible, um, and I know no illustration's perfect, but I, I know you have that in your mind now, and that's, I, I know that my foot didn't create the multiplication of spiders, but that's what I think about when I think about uh, the persecution of the church, That's the picture I get, that uh, evil is this attempt to stomp out, to quench, to to get rid of the church, to persecute it, to to imprison the church, to warn the church, to kill believers, and the more they're pressed down, the more they multiply. Tertullian, he was an old church father, he, he wrote, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Your injustice is proof that we are innocent. The more often we're mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. Persecution of Christ's church only works to expand his kingdom. But we also need to hear that in times of relative peace, 
uh, like we are in, maybe contrary to popular opinion, I don't think, maybe we've got a whiff of persecution, but uh, we need to be so ingrained with the gospel. We need to be so ingrained with sharing the gospel and living the gospel and creating disciples of the gospel that when we are pressed down in persecution, what comes out is not hate, it's not violence, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we get to look at the persecuted church. We get to look at uh, prophesied persecution. We get to look at God's providence over persecution. And we get to look at how we get to press on in persecution. So let's start at prophesied persecution. Look at the text with me. Acts 8, 1 through 4. And Saul... We'll see him soon, approved of his execution, Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So this text is a fulfillment of what we've seen earlier, if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew. It's a fulfillment of Matthew 10, at least in part. So I want you to keep your finger in Acts and flip back to Matthew 10. We're going to look at verses 16 through 25. And, and what we've seen so far in Acts is a fulfillment of this. In Acts 4, chapters 4 through 6, we've, we've seen um, what goes on in, in verses 16 through 18. So Jesus, he's talking to the 12 apostles, and he's sending out the 12 apostles, and he's telling them, he's warning them, you're going to be persecuted and I don't think it was just for that time. He's reminding them that uh, throughout the future. And he says, behold, verse 16, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men for they'll deliver you over to courts and, and flog you in their, inner, or in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. We've been seeing this for weeks. The apostles have been questioned, they've been warned, they've been put in prison, they've been flogged. We'll see in Acts 12 that, that uh, Peter and James are taken before Herod and, and James is killed and Peter's put in prison and we see that this is happening. Jesus said, it's going to happen. If you're following me, this is going to happen to you. In Acts, Acts 7 through 8, we see the verses 19 through 22 fulfilled. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are going to speak or what you will say. For what you will say or what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated for my name's sake. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And 
Last week we looked at the short passage in 7, uh, 1 through 60, where Stephen is given words to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't think he prepared that sermon beforehand. I don't think he studied for weeks knowing that he was gonna be there. He was given that and he proclaimed that message just as Jesus said, I'm gonna give you the words through my spirit. He was even dragged out of Jerusalem and stoned outside the city, but we see the promise. He says, those who endure to the end, those who endure will be saved. And we see that happen. And Stephen says, behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the throne of God. And then he fell asleep. He saw the salvation of Christ that he promised In our text today, in Acts uh, 8, 1, and 4, we see the fulfillment of Matthew 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you you have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. We don't have time to deal with that verse. But we are going to see the fleeing from town to town. We see that happening But church, we are also sent. This isn't just frozen in time in Acts. The apostles, the disciples were to make disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And this is true. If you're following Christ, you will be persecuted. We're sent out as sheep among wolves. The environment is hostile at times. Believe it or not, we go out among sinners. (laughs) And it's hostile, and our message is despised. It's hated. But our hope, it's not in our abilities. Our hope is not in our, how we present. It's in the Lord God Almighty. But he says you're going out. As, you're supposed to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And we see that reflected in Romans 16. Your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, Paul's writing, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He says, you're gonna look different when you go into the world. I want you to be wise. Know what the word of God says. Follow the word of God and and be innocent when it comes to evil. Look like my people. Again, in 1 Corinthians, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil but be mature in your thinking. We are wise as we follow Christ, but we're innocent when it comes to following evil and going this way as we go forward, wise as serpent and innocent as doves. This is how we're shining the light of Christ to the world around us. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So yes, Jesus prophesied persecution. It's not super exciting. It's not uh, the top 10 list and going to church, you wanna hear uh, messages on persecution. But if you look at the universal church, believers are being persecuted. If we just look at this map, I'm glad you can't see the rest of the world. That stinks. But you can tell that a good portion of the world is under persecution. 
Notice America's not lit up right there. But this map, this understanding that the world is being persecuted, that Christians, our brothers and sisters around the world are being persecuted should drive us to pray for the persecuted church. Constantly we should be bringing them before the Lord. Lord, give them endurance to persevere. They're fulfilling your mission and not, not they're in trouble and the gospel is going to be um, removed from those areas. It's going to spread. It's promised to spread here. I want to briefly mention what persecution is not before I get to our persecution. And persecution is not someone disagreeing with you. That's not what persecution looks like. Persecution is not people reacting to our obnoxious behavior. Persecution is not even God's wrath because we sin and he's making us pay for that in punishment. He paid for that on the cross. Persecution for the Christian church is always in response of hard hearts toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul writes, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12. That doesn't mean we go out and provoke persecution. It doesn't mean that persecution is going to look the same across the board. In China, it's going to look definitely different than it does on the coast in Oregon. Some will be imprisoned. Some will be martyred. Some will lose their jobs. Some will be mocked. Some can no longer return to their families or their homes because they're hated. Some will be chastised and called names. But if you're living for Jesus Christ, you'll be persecuted in one way or another. And if not, maybe we need to ask, am I truly living for Christ in all of my relationships? Jesus says, you're not above persecution. Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. If Jesus was persecuted, we will also be persecuted. But in the next verse, he says, it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Is it enough for us to be called a child of God? Is it enough for us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus says it's enough for you. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. Paul says in Galatians, am I now seeking the approval of man or God if I'm trying to please man or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But in the midst of persecution, the biblical witness reveals God's faithfulness. It reveals his providence over persecution. So what is providence? It's not a, not, um, it's not a hospital. Um, I mean, it is, but that's not what we're talking about here. Providence is God's continuing to work, his continual involvement in his creation. So we see this in, in passages like Colossians 1.17. He is before all things and in him all, he holds all things together. 
It's in passages like Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. In Psalm 104, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. Even something as mundane as the growing of the grass God is intimately involved in. And this understanding that God is intimately involved in his creation, uh, it's, it's not that he created and then he removed himself from creation. That's the belief called deism, and we, we reject that. But it's the belief that the Lord cares for his creation. He's, he's involved in persevere, or preserving his creation and guiding his creation uh, to his intended ends. So this means... If God is intimately involved in his creation, and he's intimately involved in a degree that he is going to fulfill what he promises to fulfill, this means that even in persecution, he can use it. He can use it to guide his people and his kingdom to its intended end. We see this in Genesis. As for you, Joseph is talking to his brothers, you meant it evil when you threw me in the cistern and sold me into slavery. You meant it as evil. I was being persecuted by my brothers, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Even in Exodus, we see, but for this purpose, God says, I've raised Pharaoh up. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself, he tells Pharaoh, against my people and will not let them go. So in our text today, you can flip back to Acts now. Now we can start. I'm just kidding if you're new here. I'm point two, you know we're about halfway there. In today's text, we see God's providence. The Lord spreads his church. Look at verse one. Saul approved of his persecution, and there arose on that day this great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. We'll stop there. If you remember, in Acts one, Jesus tells his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and where? Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there arises this great persecution. And I think a lot of times we look at this and we say, okay, the apostles, they're going to go on these missionary journeys around the world. They're going to be the ones that spread um, or their disciples um, on their own free will are going to go and spread from nation to nation. And that's how it's going to happen. But how does it happen in, in the text? There arose a great persecution and there were scattered to Judea and Samaria. And even in Acts eleven nineteen, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose, that's the one we're talking about right now, over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So when this, this intense persecution arises, I don't think, I could be wrong, But I don't think that the Christians were saying, oh, how great is this? 
How wonderful that God is expanding his kingdom. Uh, This persecution is working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to. No. I think they were fleeing for their lives. I think they were scared. I think they were running from this uh, oppressive uh, force. But that's what happened is God, what happens is God is providentially involved in this persecution. And he takes this horrible thing, this persecution of the church, and he uses it to advance his kingdom. Now we need to be under, we need to be very careful. God is not the one causing persecution because his people aren't moving fast enough. James says, let no one say he When he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But God takes the desire of evil to quench the kingdom, to stomp out the message of the gospel, and he uses it against the kingdom of darkness. He turns what was meant for evil into good, and he spreads his kingdom You see, the persecution of the Christian church works only to advance the gospel. Never stomp it out. So by God's providence, the gospel spreads to Judea, Samaria. It's on its way to the ends of the earth when we get to Acts 11. But it's also by his providence that the the disciples, if you look back at the text, his apostles stay in Jerusalem. It almost seems like they're being disobedient. But the ministry continues under intense persecution here. If you remember, the apostles were loved by the crowds. Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew, so he, they, he didn't have as, as much favor with the crowds. But the apostles were Jews, and they were, they were loved by the crowds. And we see in Acts 4, when the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin came and threatened them, they couldn't find a way to punish them because of the people. They, we see in Acts 5, they try to um, take them, they, but they're not going to take them by force because they don't want to be stoned by the people because the apostles were being protected. So God gave favor um, to, in the eyes of the people to the apostles for a time. Even in the midst of persecution, they stay, though, at their post. They stay and they minister to the people of God. They're there. There's work still to be done in Jerusalem. They continue to build the church. Maybe they stay centrally located so people can come. The believers, can, they know where we can go and find guidance. Like in Acts 15, the council, uh, the, the Jerusalem council, or in Galatians, Paul says, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem to Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation to set before them the gospel I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. So they have this central location. They can go and talk to the apostles. Perhaps they stayed to plead with their Jewish brothers and sisters to turn to Christ. Perhaps they were staying until Matthew 10, 23 was fulfilled. Then they persecuted you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Whatever reason, the apostles stayed, even if it meant death, because of the surpassing worth 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the text doesn't allow us to say we have to flee from persecution or we have to stay in persecution. You, church, may be called to stay in a job even though you're being beat down by unbelievers around you. Perhaps it's because you are the only gospel they're going to hear in their lives. I, hear, I remember hearing of a missionary, you remember when the Taliban's taking over Afghanistan, they're rummaging, they're, they're ravaging everything. And the missionary, it, staying for him meant almost certain death. And the missionary organization says, we, we want to try to figure out how to get you out of there. And he said, no, I need to stay here because the people here need the gospel. Some of us are called to stay. Some of us are called to flee. But no matter what, we're called to spread the gospel. So by God's providence and persecution and the spreading of the church, the preaching of the word, it continues successfully. Look at the rest of the text, starting in verse 5. Philip, he goes down to Samaria and he proclaims to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Remember, signs are affirmation of the message he's proclaiming. For unclean spirits were crying out. They came out of many who had them, and many were paralyzed and lame, were healed, and there was so much joy in that city. But do you think it's a coincidence that Philip goes to Samaria and the gospel was successful? Jesus had already laid the foundation in Samaria with the woman at the well in John 4. He had already been there. He had already started building his church. He says, look around, the harvest is plentiful. And now we see that workers, they've been praying for workers to come, and workers are now coming and reaping the harvest. Do you not believe that as you go forth and you preach the gospel to people around you that the spirit of God has gone before you already? He's already preparing hearts. He's already preparing minds. He's already working so that you can bring the good news. We have to understand salvation is a work of God. It is not all on our shoulders to have this perfect presentation. We get to participate in a long line of how God has been working. The Lord has been laying the groundwork for the success of his kingdom from Genesis 3. The mountains have been proclaiming his praise from the very beginning. The, the waves crashing have been announcing his beauty from the very beginning. Christians before you for generations have been planting seeds. Christian love has worked to soften hearts. Trouble even in people's lives has worked to prepare their ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Just as Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor the, uh, he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Continue preaching the word. Preach it boldly. Preach it with faith. Preach it because God is providential. Jesus will save his people. So how does the doctrine of God's providence help us today? Providence gives us confidence in persecution. 
we understand that even in persecution, God's plan, he's working to accomplish his plan. Even if it looks like it isn't, it looks like everything around us is is burning, it, it seems and it feels like nothing is going right, I know that God is working his plan out. This is why the disciples, when they're beat in prison and they're thrown in prison and they're dragged out and they're stoned, they're saying, praise God, because they know this is a sign that his church is growing and we're doing exactly what we're called to do. Believers, the pain that we're enduring for the cross is making way for relief of the the world around us. God's providence, it also gives us power as we pray. Like, why would I pray? If God is providential, if he is moving things around, why would I even need to pray? I could just not do anything because God's gonna do it, right? God ordained that prayer is a means in which he's going to do this. He commands us to do it. He tells us we need to do this. Do we pray boldly with the understanding that we get to participate with God in his bringing his kingdom. God's providence should empower our prayers. It should give us confidence in our prayers. So the prophecy of coming persecution and God's providence over persecution helps us to press on through persecution. To press on, you have to have an understanding of your role in the kingdom. First, your role is to die to self. Jesus reminds us that unless a seed falls to the earth and dies, it will not produce fruit. It does not become fruitful as a seed until it dies. We have to die to the desire of pleasing people We have to die to the desire of looking like the world. We have to die to the desire of always being right. We have to die so that we can produce the fruit of Christ and build his kingdom with him. Secondly, our role is to be equipped so that we are ready to share the gospel. If you look at the church of Acts up to this point in eight, when they're scattered about, what have they been doing? Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. They have been training, they've been working, they've been being discipled so that whenever they were persecuted, what came out of them was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our text should be an example for every Christian that we take the gospel with us everywhere we go. Look at the text. Verse one. They were scattered to Judea, Samaria. Verse four. And as they were scattered, they went about preaching the word. They stopped at hotels along the way, gas stations along the way, and they shared the gospel. They showed the love of Christ. They, they, when they got where they were going, they shared the love of Christ. They were prepared to do that. They, this is the best news in the world. I'm going to share it with everyone. I have to. And we have to speak Christ in our daily conversations with every person we meet. It's not going to look the same. I'm not saying you have to, okay, hi, nice to meet you. Let me present the gospel real quick. Um, then, we can, then you can check me out. Um, that's not 
what I mean. It's gonna look different. We're, some of it's gonna be in love. Some of it's gonna be in word. Some of it's gonna be in deed. But we are going to share Christ constantly. Take notice. Those who are scattered except the apostles. So the ones who are scattered as the, the lay people of the church, the bulk of the church, 99.9% of the church are the ones sharing the gospel. It's not, well, the apostles are, but it's not just the apostles. Will Metzger, did I put it up here? Nope, I'll just read it to you. He writes, in our world, probably 99% of all Christians are not in the ministry. Unless everyone engages in evangelism, praying, initiating, and fervently speaking the gospel, not much will happen. New birth into God's kingdom usually involves people as spiritual midwives. No, it's not, he's not saying um, if we don't spread the gospel, then God's mission is going to fail, and it, it, it depends on us. No, that's not the case. But he decides to use us to spread his good news. I understand that for some of you, evangelism is scary. Like, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that. But that's why we're being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And we have to participate. That's why we hear the gospel. That's why we pray. That's why we read. So that whenever we get a chance, that's what comes out of our mouth. What's in your heart is what's coming out of your mouth, right? That's what Jesus says. Thirdly, your role is to spend time in worship. Of God. If you meditate on, you deeply understand the mercy of God towards you in Jesus Christ, what's going to come out of you is mercy. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you study deeply the love of God, what's going to come out of you is love. The deeper our worship of the Lord goes, the more it penetrates the heart, the bigger our faith grows, and the more robust our faith is, the more confident we become to share the good news. Fourth, your role is to love your neighbor as you're going. There's nothing more loving the apostles could have done than share the good news of Jesus Christ. Our role in loving our neighbors is not just to love them in action, it's to, it's to tell them of Jesus Christ. I could rake your yard until you die, but if I don't tell you of Jesus Christ, you're still gonna go to hell. We don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. We don't need to cram him down everyone's throat, but we don't need to be ashamed of him. So we press on by preaching and we preach to the outcasts. The Samaritans were the outcasts. They were hated by the Jews. The Gentiles were hated by the Jews. Church, we can't become like that. Our love cannot grow cold for those who are not like us. We need to ask ourselves, do, do I allow someone's lifestyle keep me from sharing to them, sharing with them the love of Jesus Christ? Is something in their life stopping me from sharing with them the love of Christ? And that's a problem. Do I allow someone's personality or their rough language to keep me from sharing the love of Jesus Christ? Do I allow how they vote, how they identify, how they mask or don't mask, or if they vaccine or don't vaccine or don't vaccinate? If they, it doesn't matter. Am I allowing anything 
to stop me from sharing the love of Christ? Their religion, their record as a criminal? Am I allowing anything to stop me from sharing with them the love of Jesus Christ? And if so, that's a heart problem. I have a problem and I'm looking down on people when I should be building up the body of Christ. Church, we were once outcasts. Remember, at one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we were. Paul reminds us, But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my last slide, I guess. We've been brought near. We have received mercy, and it's in that mercy. We've received grace, and it's in that grace. We've received love, and it's in that love that we move forward and tell people. I want to close with some very practical applications. First, commit yourself to praying for evangelism. Pray for evangelism of the world, the persecuted church. Go to persecution.com. Go to opendoorsusa.org. Pray for the persecuted church. We have books in the bookstore that have uh, nations and how we could be praying for them. Be praying for them. We have missionary cards on the wall back there. Pray for our missionaries to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And start praying. Even if you say, I can't say Jesus' name. Uh, It just scares me to death to share the gospel. Just start praying for your boldness. Commit to pray that you will share the gospel. You'll be bold to share the gospel at the gym, at home, at work, wherever you go. God, make me bold. Make me bold. Help me live for Christ. Second, get informed. I put a bulletin insert. There's a ton of things you can inform yourself with. Get informed. Third, learn to present the gospel. If you don't know how to do this, I want you to take out a card. I don't care what the card says in front of you, um, if it's new here or whatever. If it's just a, a slip of paper, write on it, Greg, I want help sharing the gospel, and drop it on the, in the boxes on your way out. I want you to be encouraged. God's mission, he wants us to be on mission with him and it's a successful mission. It's going to succeed. But we have to open our mouths. We have to learn also how to live out the gospel. We do this in community. We encourage each other because some of us don't want to do that so we need somebody to say, hey, let's do that together. Let's go serve them together. When you read the word, don't just close your Bible and say, okay, see you tomorrow, Bible. I'm not even gonna think about that again, but think, how am I going to apply what I just read? I'm gonna write down that question right now because I'm gonna forget it if I leave here. How am I gonna apply this and when am I going to apply this? And then apply it. Show your neighbors the love of Christ. Invite people to church. Take care of the orphan and the widow. Love people. In times of peace, relative peace, like we are in present day United States of America, the church has a tendency to get very lazy. We think things are going pretty well. 
we fail to share the gospel, we fail to study the gospel, we become more concerned about Hollywood and the world around us than we do the kingdom of God. May we be ready if and when persecution comes to spread the good news of Jesus Christ so that what comes out of us when we're pressed down is not hate, it's not violence, it's not slander on Facebook, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we talk about persecution, we don't want to talk about persecution. We don't want to talk about boldness and being uncomfortable. And, and I pray that you would just, you would work in your church. You would make us bold. You would help us to understand the gospel at such a deep level in our hearts and by your spirit constantly teaching us that it's what comes out of us that you are cutting away all of the things of this world and you are, you are building in us a likeness of Christ. Th- those are promises. So I thank you. That's what you're doing for my brothers and sisters in, in here. That's what you're doing in my heart. God, I, we need your help. We need your spirit to guide us. We pray for the persecuted church, Lord. There's so many who have to sneak around and and read the Bible and can only do it once every once in a while. I pray, Lord, that you would continually root your word in their heart and in their mind. I pray that you would protect them and give them endurance. And we thank you that no matter what, your kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.